Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read the scripture here. Imitation game. We are called to be imitators of God. And we're going to talk about that some more today and uh, what that may look like for us. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, you can read it off the screen or you can go to the Bible app, version. you can find our event on there and there's notes and uh, connect group questions on that, on that app. So, all right. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Father, we thank you. Your word has the infinite ability to change our lives every time we look into it. And so we pray that that would happen today. Your presence is here. Everything is right for our lives to change today. And we ask that it would by your strength and your power. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Talking about being imitators of God. We learned, we learned the first week that it's like 85,000 Elvis imitators uh, in the world. And at the rate that Elvis impersonators are going, we will have uh, in 2027, one in three persons will be an Elvis imitator. So my recommendation is to go ahead and get one of those rhinestone suits that fits and start practicing because it seemed like that's the way we're going. I have a feeling it's easier to imitate Elvis than it is God. I like this section of scripture because it it gives a pattern, I believe, to our lives and the way we typically operate when it comes to our relationship with God, imitating God. We, We see at the beginning of what we read, we see Jesus with the disciples asking them, hey, who do people say that I am? And they reply with, well... Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Really what they were saying back to him, they're not sure who you are. You're, you're, you're not like anyone, anything anyone has ever seen. You, you, your authority is greater than the chief priests and the teachers of the law. You can walk into a synagogue and start teaching, and people are absolutely blown away. 
Matter of fact, we know that since Jesus was 12 years old, he said that when his parents were looking for him, he was in the temple and people were like, where'd this kid come from? He was doing miracles that nobody had ever seen before. He was raising people from the dead. He was, he was healing the sick. He was, he was giving sight to the blind. And they said, we're, we know he's not normal, but we're not 100% sure who he is. And then Jesus turns the question around to them personally and says, who do you believe that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Listen, that didn't, that just wasn't human knowledge that gave you that insight. That was the Holy Spirit that gave you that. That was God revealing me to you in a, in a special way, in an intimate way. And if we're going to be good imitators of God, this thing has to be personal, doesn't it? It has to be personal because you're only going to last so long on the story, someone else's story. You're only going to last so long on someone else's testimony. I'm reminded of back when, when Jesus was just crucified and resurrected and the disciples were in the room. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the women were coming to him and they were like, they were saying, man, that sounds like nonsense. And then Jesus had actually walked through a wall and into the room, uh, through the locked door and, and he's saying, Hey, listen, I, I'm alive here. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. And, and, and all the disciples are like, Oh my goodness, he's alive. Thomas comes back and they go, Jesus is alive. And he goes, I'll believe it when I can touch it. And we, we oftentimes cast him in a negative light. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I believe he was normal Thomas. Maybe even smarter Thomas. Because at the end of the day, you going off the story of someone else only lasts so long. And when the struggle gets real, their story doesn't seem as believable anymore, does it? Because you can walk into the church and you can hear me give testimonies of the Gonzalez family and how they trusted God for the last two months to do what seemed and was looking more and more like the impossible, only for me to get a phone call saying, man, God's come through and we're coming home. And, and, and just the miraculous part of that. But two months into your own struggle, that story might not carry you as far. Because now all of a sudden it's happening to me. And the remedy for that is for you to have your own personal relationship with God. So you don't see Jesus rebuking Thomas after he, after he resurrected. You see the next time Jesus walks through the wall, he says, hey, Thomas, touch my side. That's fine. Put your hand in my side. Touch my hands. Here they are. Experience for yourself. I'm the living God. I'm the God that was dead and now I'm raised again. I, I don't mind revealing myself to you personally. So now Thomas, when he goes forward, he's got the reality of touching God. Not just what Peter told him or what one of the other disciples told him. He says, no, 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 I know this is real. I touched him. I put my hand in his side. It was, it was him. I saw the scars that he got on the cross. It was him. And now I can live like I've never been able to live before because I know he's alive. And so the, the, the important thing that getting an imitation right is having the relationship, right? That, that if it's a personal relationship, I've got this access to God. You see, you see Jesus dying on the cross gave us direct access to the Father through the Son. And, and we have the capability to have that personal relationship with God now. And so my, my, my desire for you is not to come in and just listen to what I'm saying on a Sunday morning and walk out and go, ah, he's probably sort of maybe right. Now, Paul had a group of people called the Bereans that he went and preached to. 
And he actually said that they were of more noble character because he said when he left, they went back and checked everything he said. I would encourage you to go back and check what I say. Go, go back. If, you, if you're going to a church and you're just listening and not checking, it turns into a Jim Jones situation, right? And he was not related to me, so don't even look at me like that. Like, I know that was his uncle. Don't be deceived by, 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 by people that will say what your itching ears want to hear, the Bible says. Those people are coming along at the end times. And so it's more imperative than ever that we have a personal relationship with God so we see the real thing we're trying to imitate. Because if you're just copying me, then there's a chance you could copy my sin and not even know it. Because let me tell you something, I'm really good at it. So he says, who do you think that I am? Peter says, man, I think you're God. I think you're the Messiah. I think you're it. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And flesh and blood didn't, they didn't reveal this. You you didn't just get this from your intellect, but God gave this to you. And so so here's what the deal is. And the church is going to go forward on this testimony that I am who I said I was. It's going to go forward. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to give you the keys to all kinds of things. You're You're going to bind up things and loose things and do all this. You're going to have power. Aren't you sick of walking around with no power, by the way? The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Start binding and loosing. That's what he told Peter to do, right? We're going to talk about that in a second. He said, this is a personal thing. God revealed this to you. You're going to be a good imitator of God because he actually himself revealed it to you. Don't, you don't have to go off the testimony of someone else. The psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste for yourself, right? You ever tried to have somebody explain to you what something tastes like? Well, it kind of tastes like Brussels sprouts. It kind of tastes like this. It kind of tastes like that. I don't know. I want to taste it for myself, unless it does taste like Brussels sprouts, and then I'll, then I'll take your opinion on it. Job 42, verse 5. Job, Job experiences some of the worst trauma and loss that anybody we've ever read about. He loses all of his kids and all of his materialistic possessions and he loses his health all within a matter of a short period of time. And he starts to do what we do, right? He starts to question God a little bit and he's got the benefit of having some friends come around that are worthless, really. And they give him some bad advice and they're giving him uh, poor counsel. And so he's questioning Man, he, he, he's going back saying, I, I, I cursed that I was even born. Why? Why, why for all this? And, and how many know when you question God and then he answers, sometimes that can be an intimidating process. So God does answer him at the end of the book of Job. And Job has this response. He says, my ears had heard of you. He said, I've heard testimony about you, but now my eyes have seen you. He said, what transformed me is not what other people said about you, but when I saw you for myself, transformed my life. I knew you in a way I never knew you before. See, I've been going off of what people say, but now I don't have to just go off of what they say. I've seen you for myself. And my prayer for each one of you this morning is that it just wouldn't be what I say or what your friends say about God, but you would know him. Because I'm pretty confident that your imitation of him would be better. John chapter 4, verse 42, it's the woman at the well. Jesus goes out of his, kind of goes out of his way. He says, listen, I need, to make, I need to make sure I see this woman today. 
And he goes and meets her at the well. She's a Samaritan. They're not supposed to be hanging out together, especially in this context. And, and, and he goes and talks to her. He reveals to her. He says, hey, listen, you've had five husbands. The guy you're with now is not your husband. And she's like, you're right. Wow. And, um, and, he, and he points out areas of her life, but he does it in a way that makes her come back. The church could learn great lessons from that. So she goes into the town. The Bible says that she goes into the town and tells people, hey, come back and see a man who's told me everything about myself. And so she drags all of her friends and coworkers out there, and she just says, hey, man, come on. You got to come see him. You got to come see him. And they came out on her testimony. But they didn't stay on her testimony. Because in John chapter 4, verse 42, it says this. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. You got us out here. You got us to come see him. We no longer believe just because you said he was this person. Now we have heard for ourselves that we know this man really is the savior of the world. We've seen with our two eyes. We've seen him. We've heard him for ourselves. And we, we thank you for getting us out here. But now we've got a relationship with him. Amen? There come a point in time when I was growing up that that, that my parents would say, this is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. This is, this is who God is. This is how faithful he is. This is how he's taking care of us. This is the story. This is the story. But at some point in time, I couldn't ride on my parents' story anymore. I had to have one for myself and had to experience the faithfulness of God for myself. I had to experience how he walks with me through trials myself. I had to experience how good he is myself. Amen? Taste and see. So... So Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're it. But then something peculiar happens. You see the conversation start to change a little bit. I mean, it's all cool and fun, right? When we're saying, man, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the guy that came to get us out of all this mess, this Roman rule, all this stuff. We're going to be great people. You don't mind if I sit on your right and the left and, and you're going to make us in charge of things and this is awesome. You're the Messiah. We believe it. It's happening. This is me. Everybody likes that part, right? Like, woo! I know somebody famous. Selfies with Jesus. Your friends are like, I can't believe you're hanging out with him. This is crazy. But then you could overlook this if you just glaze over it. He tells them, yeah, you're going to have power. I am who you say I'm. You're going to have power. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're going to win this whole thing. And then he says this. From that time forward, he began to explain to them how he had to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the teacher of the law, and that he would be killed and raised again. You ever hung out with somebody you thought was cool? You know, hanging out with them for a couple months, you thought they were cool, hanging out at the house, doing whatever you do. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there one day, just like normal, they're like, man, we should rob a bank. And you're like, What? I thought we were just having a couple. You were coming over, we were chilling, watching Netflix, and you talk about robbing a bank. I thought I knew you. 
I remember being around people like that in, in college. You just never knew what was going to happen. We should go steal a Christmas tree. Well, I mean, it's Christmas. You don't steal during Christmas. It won't fit in the back of a geo tracker anyway. So you got this, the top down at Christmas and the tree sticking out of it. I don't, never mind. Everything's cool until the guy goes, we should rob a bank. I believe this is what kind of happened with the disciples. Man, you're the Messiah. Man, did you hear what he said the other day? He said he was going to give us power. Whatever we bind, whatever we loose, whatever we, man, this is amazing. The gates of hell will not prevail against, you know, when we get around in the church, we're like, we're, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We're all militant. Going to take over the world. And then one day they're hanging out and Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. I'm going to die. And they're like, what's he talking about? I thought we were taking over things. I mean, we came up with a secret handshake and stuff. Like, I thought we were going to do this to the end. I thought we were going to take over things. I thought we were going to rule and reign. I thought we were going to. You know, I thought he was a Messiah going to come and save everybody. And now, now he's talking about suffering. You know the disciples had conversations about this with themselves. You know they were like, what? What happened to him? Is the, did something get in his water? Like we were just talking about how great this was. Now he's talking. It seemed like from that day forward, he started talking about suffering. We're all thinking we're going to be rulers, and he's talking about dying. I want to tell you, the more revelation you get, the more sacrifice you're going to see is required. And there was something revealed to the disciples that had not been emphatically said up to that point. And Jesus makes a big point to stop and say, yes, this is true. God revealed this to you. You have more revelation of who I am now than you did yesterday. And so with more revelation comes more sacrifice. So he instantly started turning the conversation to suffering. Hey, there's more revelation of who I am now. Now that you have a better revelation, now that you know I'm the son of God, now that you know that God sent me, I'm his son, I'm the Messiah, now I can tell you the rest of the story. Now I can tell you, now I can tell you what the sacrifice is going to look like. Because you know it's like being the volunteer at a nonprofit, right? Sounds all good. You have to be there like, oh, come on, we're changing lives. And then you realize they want you to clean the toilets. And then you're like, I thought we were changing lives. And they're like, this is part of it. You're like, no, it's not. This is, cha- this is cleaning toilets. This ain't changing lives. I can- it's changing my life. And so with more revelation of who God is, we see a better revelation of what the sacrifice is going to be. And so they, they were seeing God's plan like never before. More was revealed to them at this point in time than at any other time. He, he gives them a glimpse into what's coming. And then he changes the conversation to listen this is the suffering that's going to have to take place. And they start getting freaked out about it. I don't know about you, but I always get freaked out about it. I've been a pastor for 16 years, and when I feel like I've got a better revelation of Christ than I did the day before, there seems to always be a higher level of sacrifice that comes with it. There always seems to be, God, I know you better, but you're asking for less of me and more of you. And I have to get up every morning and make that decision. Are you going to act like Chris today? Again? You know what happened yesterday when you act like Chris. 
Are you going to act like him again? You know if you act like Chris today, you're going to have to apologize to somebody. You know if you act like Chris today, you stand a chance of hurting. So you know if you act like Chris today, you're going to miss that thing that God wanted you to do. And so I'm praying for a better revelation, but I'm trying to ignore the sacrifice in the same breath. I'm saying I want more of a revelation of you, but I want to act just like I've always been acting. So I want what you can give me, but I don't want to imitate who you are to get it. So Peter gets freaked out the most. The Bible says on one occasion Jesus is saying this stuff and Peter pulls him aside. Don't you love how we pull God aside? You're like, listen, we want more of you, but I need to explain to you how the Jones family works. So Jesus, you know, the walk over behind the door with me and you're like, listen. My wife ain't going to do none of this. Or you're pulling him aside and you're saying, my husband ain't going to do none of this. You seen you gave me him. You know better than everybody. You gave him to me. You know he's not going to do it. You ask, you're asking us to do this. You know it's not possible. So Peter pulls Jesus aside. It seems like the closer we get to him, the more we want to tell him what to do sometimes. We get this familiarity with him, right? It's like the friend that you're not sure about, and then you get real close, and then you feel like you can tell him how to treat his kids. So we get familiar, and then we, we're, we're cool with it as long as God's doing what we want. We're familiar, like, oh, how's your, oh, God's blessing me. God's blessing me. God's blessing me. I got more peace and joy and love now. You know, I go to work with a smile on my face. And then all hell breaks loose, we pull Jesus aside. And we go, hey, listen, it was really good up to this point. But I need to let you know something. I'm not in this game for the suffering. I'm in it because you are blessing me. And so I want to let you know that you got to cut this out. Am I the only one that's had a conversation with him like that? Like, God, I feel so close to you. And the next morning, you're like, you don't know what you're doing. That's what ha- that's, it's like the flesh cycle. It's like we, we can kick it aside for a little bit. We can kick it aside for we kick ourselves aside. Like, I'm going to imitate God. I'm going to imitate God. Everything's going well. And then when all hell breaks loose, we're like, this imitation thing is not working. And, and God, I, I, need to, I need to counsel you. I need to give you some advice on your game plan here. Because I wasn't signing up for this. I was signing up to be popular and famous because I was volunteering, not to clean toilets. Because here's the problem with the flesh. There's always an ulterior motive for why I want to do what I want to do. I can guarantee it. I am evil at the core. It's like, man, I'm going to get in. And then you hear it on your shoulder. Oh, man, everybody will like you if you do that. Oh, man, everybody will... Want to be your friend if you do that. If you would preach on this, everybody would like you. And then God says, suffering's not popular, but it's my path. And you go, why? <laughs> right? Pull Jesus aside, why? Why do you got to do it like that? The more revealed, the more sacrifice is required. It freaked out. It says Peter pulled him aside began to rebuke him. You see, the issue with us is no matter how close we get to God, we still battle wanting to be in charge. So Peter 
pulls him aside, and the Bible, it says he began to rebuke him as if he knew what was going to happen in the next 30 seconds. See, the problem with me is I've got a calendar full of stuff tomorrow. I got no idea if it's actually going to happen, but he does. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows, like he wrote the book that tells you how it's going to work out at the end. And, and so, so when it's not going according to the way I want, I call him aside and start to rebuke him. And I say, listen, I got some plans already in the works. And I'm sure Peter had, Peter's like, man, just a little while ago, you were saying I was the rock. And we were going to kick some butt. And now you're saying you're going to die. This is not going to happen. I love Jesus' response. He doesn't even try to reason with him. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine Peter? In the matter of a short period of time, Jesus is looking at him saying, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And then he hears, get behind me, Satan. Now listen, I'm not saying you should use that as a marriage strategy or any other strategy with your personal relationships here on earth when somebody disagrees with you and you think you're God and you're like, get behind me, Satan. They're going to call HR up right now and be like, just go ahead and cancel his time card. Change the locks on the building. We're rolling this guy's out. This guy, he's calling everybody Satan. Jesus had to make sure Peter understood that he was acting like Peter and not like God. And when we act like ourselves, the reality is we're more like Satan than we are God. Because this flesh is corrupted and it's evil at the core. And I don't care how nice we try to be, we end up sinning. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, listen, you're acting more like Satan now than you are a child of God. And I can't tolerate that anymore because the path to following me is suffering. It's sacrifice. And I can't let you stand in the way of that for your own comfort. You see, that's when I start calling Jesus aside, when it starts getting uncomfortable. When it starts getting uncomfortable, I remember being in... Uh, these are my vivid, fond memories of Kenya being in a second flat apartment with a bunch of pastors and having a, something like a bomb go off outside and nobody moves. And I'm going, God, this ain't cool anymore. I didn't know what to do. I thought about running the kitchen and grabbing a knife, but nobody else was moving. I thought that might seem like I'm scared, which I am. And I just looked around. I said, wow, you guys are crazy. What is going on? Nobody's moving. And they were like, ah, it's fine. I'm like, I don't think that's faith. I think you're crazy. But at some point in time, at some point in time, when the suffering happens, when Jesus changes the conversation, and it always happens in our lives, when the conversation changes to so now you know more about me, now you know more of who I am, now this is what's going to be required. We always go, whoa, wait a second, I don't know if I could do that. And we totally forget that it says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That nothing is impossible for those 
who believe on him. Right? That, that, that we, we failed to remember that he has empowered us to do the impossible. Peter failed to remember that, that he said, listen, you're going to bind and loose and the gates of hell will not prevail. And this is what's got to happen. And Peter automatically goes to, well, that can't happen. And so the thing that we realize is that the only way Jesus saves the world is if he dies. See, we have the capability to look back 2,000 years on this and say he had to go to the, oh, we, we know it. We, he had to go to the cross. There had to be a perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. There had to be Jesus as one sacrifice for all of mankind for, uh, for, to cover all the sin from then to forevermore. There had to be the sacrifice. He had to die. He had to, we can say that easy. But then when it's flipped around and Jesus says, the way to, for me to reach the people around you could be through your suffering, we go, whoa, I need to call you aside on this, God, because that's not the way I operate. You see, my love language is blessing, right? And the way I think you love me is if everything's going okay. And so I need you to bless me to understand that you love me. And when I'm not blessed, I just feel bad, right? And he says, listen, I called you to be an imitator of me. I called you to be an imitator of me. And, and it's, I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say it was going to be always what you wanted. But I called you to imitate me, not yourself. And so the way of salvation is through suffering. And I believe, just like what you heard Mark say, I believe that the way that less of us and more than him is oftentimes on that same path. Because here's what the next thing he says to Peter. He looks at Peter and the disciples and he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to imitate me, you wake up every morning, take up your cross, deny yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't going to always get it. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Follow me. In Luke's rendition of this same passage of scripture, he says daily. Daily deny yourself. Pick up that cross. Pick up that suffering that you want to avoid with everything that is in you. Pick it up and use it. Use it. He says if you want to follow me, if you want a revelation of God in its fullest, then this is the way you get it. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Pick up your cross. What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to follow you. What are you going to do the next day? I'm going to pick up my cross. Here's what concerns me. That Jesus even told Peter how he was thinking. He told him how he was thinking. He said, the reason you don't want me to suffer, the reason you don't want this to happen, is because you're only thinking in human terms. Come on. He said, you're not imitating me. You're imitating yourself again. He said, the reason we're having this conversation right now is because you're being more like you and not like me. He said, Peter, you're only thinking in human. You're only thinking of self-preservation, Peter. You're only thinking about yourself and making it nice and making it lovely and all those things. You're only thinking about. He said, you're not thinking like God. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're not thinking like God. 
Aren't you encouraged? We've had like a week of rain and then we come into sacrifice and suffering. (laughs) I do want to encourage you. Stand to your feet. The band's going to come up. I want to encourage you really quick here. I don't think I'm preaching Mark's sermon. I didn't even know what he's going to preach out, preach about June 18th. But listen. Some of you have a cross laying in your front yard that you walk around every morning before you leave. It's been laying there. You fight it every day. It might be a job. It might be something that's happened to you. It might be a family member. It might be, a, it might be kids. It might be, I don't know what it is. You know what it is. It's laying there. And we fight so hard to avoid the suffering. We just, man, we'll wear a path in the woods rather than walk over that thing. We'll walk over in the neighbor's yard. But Jesus said, don't avoid it. He said, embrace it. He said, go pick it up. Go pick it up. And he said, the more you know about me, the more I'm going to ask you to pick it up. The closer you get to me, the more I'm going to ask you to pick it up. I don't want you acting like yourself. That's where trouble happens. That's when you start correcting me, and I'm God. So here's what I want you to do. I sent my son Jesus to die for you. He picked up the cross. And so I want you to act like that. When you wake up in the morning, I want that to be your first decision. Just walk out in the yard and pick that thing up. Because listen, I know that I've settled in my heart the way I think it all should happen. But at the end of the day, that's not the way it's going to work. And I know if all of us are here prospering and we're all driving new cars and money's flying everywhere and we're all got perfect relationships, nobody's sick, would people come? Probably. And then as soon as something bad happened to them, they'd disappear. Because they would say, well, the same God that saved me can't keep me. I don't know what to do with that. But it seems like the closer I get to God, he says, Chris, there's going to be some difficult things in your life. Just like the 23rd Psalm, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. He said, but I saved the world through suffering and sacrifice. And I will continue to do that. So here's what I believe. The more we act like God, the more we'll see those type of things. Jesus wasn't a masochist. He was bent from the beginning on saving you. And suffering and sacrifice is a part of our lives if we're going to imitate God. But here's what happens when we do that. I believe the gospel goes forward so fast that we can't imagine it. The moment that as a church we say, and I'm going to quit pulling God aside and tell him how to do it. And I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to walk lockstep in him. When I get up in the morning, it's not about me. It's not about acting like me. It's about acting like God. And I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to deny myself all the things 
Whatever he asks of me, I'm going to say, look, I'm going to deny my, this isn't about me. It's about acting like you. And I will guarantee you that you can't anticipate the impact that will result in your life. Some of you have never heard the story of Mark Mason. So he can stand up here and say, we travel all over the country going to tough thing, tough prisons and, and, and doing this and doing that and seeing people come to Christ. And you have no idea the crosses that were had needed to be carried to get to this point. And my fear for my life is on a continual basis that there will one day lay a cross in front of me that I'm unwilling to pick up. And my prayer is this, God, give me the strength through your Holy Spirit to pick up whatever you lay in front of me and carry it as long as you call me to carry it because I believe that salvation comes through crosses. Amen? Come on, church. I believe salvation comes through crosses. I believe salvation comes through suffering. I believe salvation comes through trials. I believe the next person that you run into doesn't want to see your nice, glamorous car. They want to see the marks of a cross that you've been carrying so they can relate to you. They want to see that you've drug it farther than you ever expected. And he was with you. And that the God that they're not sure they can trust, they see that absolutely through your life they can trust Him. Because there's a ton of people around you nowadays that go, I'm not sure about this. But the cross that you're carrying, following Jesus is proof that He is real. The cross that you're carrying, and He's supporting you and keeping you and providing you. How do you do that? I do it because He's with me. And I picked it up because he called me to. And I picked it up because I'm trying to be, I'm trying to imitate God. And I picked it up because he's with me every day. He's never left me or forsaken me. I pick it up because that's what he's called me to do. The gospel goes forward rapidly when we carry crosses. And I don't want to be a church that just trickled the gospel out. I want to be a church where it flowed out like a flood because we woke up and picked up a cross and we said, I'll follow you. You tell me what to, you tell me what to deny and I'll lay it down. You tell me what to pick up and I'll pick it up. You tell me what to sacrifice and I'll sacrifice it because I know your reward is great. Amen. Father, I don't ask you to bless us flippantly, Lord, just pour out some something on us and we don't know. Lord help us to be more like you help us to realize the most impact we will ever have in this world is to be like Jesus and I pray less of me and more of you I pray Lord that those things that I've been unwilling to pick up and carry Lord you give you put steel in my back and wherewithal in my mind Lord to pick it up and carry it in your strength and I pray the gospel would go forward in a pace and in a way that we could never anticipate because we are being imitators of God. And Father, I pray that we'd rise to the challenge. I pray that we'd rise in your strength. And I pray that indeed the gates of hell would never prevail. But the gospel through here would knock them over. God, I pray for a great harvest today. And I pray that we'd be great imitators of you. In Jesus' 
mighty name we pray. Come on, you should give him honor and glory this morning because of it.